0: This is 10 Minutes of Science, a Women in Ophthalmology initiative supported by Johnson & Johnson. We have invited ophthalmologists who are leaders in their field to discuss a journal article of their choice. My name is Robin Troutbeck. I'd like to introduce Frenny Calopese. Frenny is an oculoplastic surgeon who works at Westmead Hospital and the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse and in various private practices in and around Sydney. She did her PhD in Glaucoma and Neuroprotection at the University of New South Wales. Hi, Frenny. Hi, Robin. Can you start by telling us which paper you will be talking about today and why you have chosen it? Thanks, Robin. So, my paper is called The Ruptured Globe
1: Sympathetic Ophthalmia and the 14 Day Rule. It was written by two oculoplastic surgeons based in North America and was published last year in 2021 in the American Society of Ophthalmic Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. So, I, I chose this article because I work in various practices in Sydney and in one of the practices I work at in Fairfield, I see recent refugees and recent immigrants from Afghanistan, Syria, Iran, and Iraq. Um, multiple have no light perception or very poor vision in repaired traumatised eyes, including those that have been traumatised by faith healers or in war crimes, explosives, and assaults. And it's made me question the dogma of enucleating NPLIs from trauma, as well as the psychological trauma which globe removal involves or any globe deformity. I recall a young lady who I did a globe repair as part of my own call at Westmead about two years ago, who was quite detached in her mannerism in the perioperative period and never returned to follow up. Um, in the last month, there were actually two interesting cases of really serious eye trauma at Westmead within a week. Um, one was a gunshot injury and another was an exploding pressure hose with catastrophic eye injury. And although it wasn't my month on call, it actually made me question how I would manage these cases. Um, so, the definition of sympathetic we all know, and its prevention is meant to be timely global removal or oh, sorry, closure or removal of the uveal tract, which is enucleation. And historically, this has been the treatment of choice with a guiding timeframe of about 14 days. However, evisceration is easier and quicker to perform and arguably has better functional and cosmetic results. And I want us to look at evidence to support management decisions. In infective or non-trauma cases, eviscerations are performed and UV or tissue is routinely left behind. And almost none of these cases actually go on to develop sympathetic. So given the rarity of sympathetic and that effective medical treatment does exist, arguments can actually be made for retaining the eye.
0: So can you tell us with regards to the article, what did they examine? What did they do? Um, so it was a review article. It was a comprehensive literature review of sympathetic and globe rupture
1: using four major databases, PubMed, Ovid Medline, Google Scholar, and Scopus. And they retrieved 262 articles. And then they also looked at their references and gathered some more um, articles that were original, and they looked at publication dates between 1818 to
0: 2021. And what did the results show? So they
1: they looked at the historical perspective of the disease and how traumatised eyes are managed. They looked at the uh, the 14-day rule um, and they talked about the uh, treatment of sympathetic and outcomes and enucleation versus evisceration. So looking at the historical perspective, um, sympathetic actually dates back to 2,000 years ago and was mentioned by Hippocrates and referenced in the 1500s and was formally defined by Mackenzie in 1840. Um, They talked about how its incidence is so rare and that most ophthalmologists will never see a case. In fact, I haven't. Um, And its incidence of post-traumatic sympathetic um, varies in different papers, possibly because the diagnosis is often presumptive and hard to make. Um, the incidence has been declining over the centuries. It was reported in post trauma eye injury cases of between 0 to 12% in five published series in the 19th century and, and between 0.28 to the 3.1 in the 20th century, and declining further in another series between 2002 to 2009 of 0 to 0.9 with an average of 0.4. And a recent meta analysis shows in population based studies of open globe injuries of 0.19% incidence. Um, so despite military conflicts and increasing ocular traumas, there were very few documented cases of World War, in World War I and II, none in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. And in the Middle East um, conflicts, there was between 56 to 13% of injuries which involved the eyes, but no reported cases of sympathetic. Um, in the British and American operations in Iraq, of Iraq and Afghanistan, there was only one case of sympathetic, and this has been despite an increasing use of non-military explosive devices. They, they actually looked at other causes of sympathetic, which are really interesting because surgeries such as vitrectomy, detachment, cataract surgery, even paracentesis and keratectomy um, have rates of about 0.1 to 013 and the rate of invitrectomy surgery has been quoted as high as 1 in 800 or 0.13%, with some authors saying it might be more common cause of sympathetic than trauma. And there are other causes such as non-penetrating eye injuries, such as um, cyclodestructive procedures, proton beam radiotherapy and even brachytherapy brachy that have been quoted with sympathetic, um, as well as blunt trauma and severe burns and even a WASP thing. So they also talked about the management of the traumatized NPLI. Um, surgically is challenging to, to repair a um, very traumatized eye, um, but there are some studies of uh, retained NPLIs following open globe injuries, and um, they looked at a study of 172 eyes over a 10 year period. 27 of whom were NPL, and one third of these NPL eyes regained some vision of light perception or better. Um, which was really quite interesting because we always think that these eyes are no hope. Um, In another study of 660 open globe traumas, 98% were successfully repaired, Um, 1.7% had primary removal due to the inability to repair, and 13% resulted in NPL. Only 0.3% or two cases actually got sympathetic and they quote the advantages of not removing the exciting eye as excellent motility, um, an irregular anterior surface of the firesiical eye which allows a better support and even integration for prosthesis and movement um, and if this can't be um, happen sometimes you can even just even use a cosmetic contact lens um, and, and the prosthesis may not be required if, if the globe is of sort of near normal size. Um, in terms of the psychological aspect, this was one of the key things that I think we often don't think about, and they point out that the eye and eye contact is very important in interpersonal communication, and the eye is a very aesthetic part of the face. And um, they talk about um, the, the, the the sense of mourning that the patients have gone through and quote an, an author took how it, in terms of the denial and depersonalization and actual problems with relationships and intimacy um, with removal of the globe, and that some people can actually have have a fear of meeting new people. Um, and, and this could be a morbid um, anxiety called anthrophobia. Um, phantom eye syndrome, it actually can occur in up to 50% of patients following globe removal. And um, visual hallucinations are the main aspect of this. Um, and these can be simple or complex or actually seeing things. And 28% of people found this these hallucinations to be actually psychologically disturbing. Um, pain was reported in about a quarter of the patients, um, and 50% actually needed analgesia to manage this pain. In respect to the 14 day rule, the classic teaching is to remove the globe within 14 days. And this, interestingly, comes from a historical perspective of a Scottish surgeon who was interested in horses and, and diseases of the eye in horses and wrote textbooks on this. Um, and in terms of um, inflammation, um, uveitis in horses is the leading cause of blindness. Um, but, in fact, they found out later that the reason they were basing this nucleation on was, was um, actually a different disease to eye disease and sympathetic, um, and that um, with the advent of general anesthetic, the nucleations followed this, and this led to pain relief uh, with apparent relief from um, or prevention of sympathetic. Um, but they pointed out that um, once the, the inflammation had started, removing the globe um, actually wasn't preventative. And they looked at the timing of enucleation. So many authors pointed to um, that sympathetic didn't occur before two or three weeks. Um, But then uh, there were other cases suggesting that um, enucleation doesn't necessarily prevent it. And there were cases of sympathetic occurring within nine to 10 days or even after five days. Um, And Duke and Elder, interestingly, used to enucleate within 14 days. But it Presented a case where nucleation at six days post-trauma went on to develop sympathetic seven months later. There's actually no scientific evidence that actually supports the 14-day uh, rule. Um, and this, this has come about by observation, speculation, um, and with limited medications available at the time. And they point out that enucleation is not always preventative. Um, They actually did some theoretical calculations based on an incidence of 0.28% of sympathetic. And for every 10,000 patients with a penetrating eye, 9,999 prophylactic enucleations would be needed to prevent one case of sympathetic, and that was if each case of enucleation was preventative, which it's not. Um, In terms of looking at eyes with severe globe trauma, there there was a case review of 50 patients who had less than hand movements and didn't remove their eye. 33% 33% or about a quarter, a third had to have their eye removed for pain reasons or physis, but two thirds kept their eye, and in long-term follow-up, there were no cases of sympathetic in this series. Um, so they point out that the, the advent of steroids and immunosuppression has been a big breakthrough into the treatment of sympathetic and um, even biologic agents and wasn't around when some of this dogma of enucleation um, and prevention of sympathetic um, was around. And they looked at the outcomes of actual cases with sympathetic and quote a rate of over 50% of patients getting to 69 nine with a sympathising eye or more than 75% getting to 612, um, which further questions the um, prophylactic dogma of enucleation. They looked at both enucleation and evisceration, and this can occur following both enucleation and evisceration, sympathetic, um, and they surveyed um, ocularis and found that 92% of patients, um, and 92% of ocularis actually preferred eviscerations to um, enucleations if globe removal was required, um, and um, they did find some cases of um, sympathetic following eviscerations. Um, but then in very large series, in fact, quite large series, they actually found no cases of sympathetic following eviscerations. Um, and this was de- documented in several series. There seems to be a regional preference between which area of the globe you're trained in and um, eviscerations or nucleations with in the UK, uh, the practice is being more balanced between enucleation and eviscerations, whereas in the US and Asia Pacific, there seems to be a more tendency towards enucleations. And then they lastly looked at, like, how likely um, you were to, to, to get visual loss from sympathetic and compared it to be as likely to be dying from a bee sting or, or hornet sting um, and much less likely to dying in a plane crash or drowning or choking on food. Um, so I thought, I thought this study was very interesting.
0: So what do you think this study means for clinical practice? Have you any take-home messages?
1: Yeah, so I think um, if the globe is repairable, um, I feel that this, this is the um, the outcome that we should be aiming for, aiming to leave the globe in the orbit, provided there's enough viable tissue, um, and that if the globe removal is required, that evisceration is an acceptable um, choice, um, although the risk for um, sympathetic following evisceration is not zero, um, the predisposing factors such as trauma and vitrectomy are higher than the risk from evisceration alone. And as long as the patient is counseled about the risk for sympathetic, Um, and aware of what to look out for, Um, it can be treated if they present. Um, And so they also point out that, and I think this is very important, that we can't always get a good um, history um, evaluation and get good consent from the severely traumatised patient who might be under the influence of, you know, medications or unconscious when they first present. Um, And also it's really important to think about the quality of life issues um, and their trauma from removing the eye to the victim and the family. Um, and then just discussing things like prevention and counselling for goggles and things from for the remaining eye. Um, so this this article really pointed out to me, um, you know, the the phantom eye syndrome, which I wasn't
0: quite, um, you know, giving too much attention to. And I think that's important. Thanks, Frenny. Um, I think we can all take home the message that we must always try and repair a globe at at all costs, even if the vision is MPL. And then. Hopefully we can have a better conversation afterwards if there is no recoverable site.
1: Yeah, thanks, Robin. I mean, I think you would you'd have a, a much better idea of how these patients are treated when they get sympathetic, but it it looks like it's quite a, a rare disease and um, yeah the, the the treatment options um, in terms of
0: salvaging the globe are important. Thanks, Freddie. Thanks, Robin. Thank you for joining us today on 10 minutes of science. See you next time.